0: Lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson.
1: And we have got a great show for you people that are out there thinking, what can I do to make my relationship better? Whether you're married or not, you're in a strong relationship but you know it could be a little bit better. So we've got Bill O'Haron, and he's a licensed clinical social worker, and he's been studying, teaching, and counseling for the last 16 years. His work is focused on helping clients better understand the challenges and the work involved with being in a mature relationship. He's written a book, Waking Up Marriage. And you know, there's a, a quote on the book Marriage is the ultimate source of friction, and therefore, the pure arsenal vessel to achieve the most growth. And that just, Bill, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: <laughs> You're very welcome. I love it. My wife says I'm incapable of small talk and I think she's right. And I love nothing more than doing this. So thank you so much for having me.
1: Well, thanks for being here. I mean, I know you've been married for a good while <laughs> and I've been married for a good, good while. <laughs> and, I can honestly say, you know, I'll be very honest. I've been married forty-one years, and you know, in the early years, you have kids, so you've got this this purpose, this cause to just unite around. And then the kids grow up, they go to college, they get married, they start their own life, and and that relationship, in a lot of ways, does become more work.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a great point. You know, you're right because in the early days it's a lot of physical work and you guys are, you know, the two, the couples are typically in motion the whole time. They get to slow down. They probably spend a little bit of time together, a little bit of time with friends, but there's always a common cause of, you know, diapers and, you know, whatever the action is. And then that's that the action, the actual outside action slows down. And then the demands of the relationship change. The muscle set demands change the ability or the need to listen. You know, if you are in a relationship and you know, we're 10 years in 15 years in, we think. We know where each other's at, but we've changed a lot. We change every seven years. Literally, biophysically, we change. Literally, our cells shift every seven years. So the later, the later stages of relationships, the average marriage they say lasts seven years. Really what they're saying is hang in there the first seven, because the next seven are going to be a different set of work. But if you're if you believe here's here's my bottom line, Lee, for me, and, and then you carry on from here. But my bottom line is I realized very early that this relationship was difficult, that I needed work. We did, we did therapy within six months of getting married. The point is, is I knew, though, that my life was going to be better with my wife in it, no matter where or how hard the road was going to be. I knew I needed a powerful, feminine, goddess, divine, ass-kicking woman like her, like no other else, no other woman I knew. I needed her in my life, and I was going to work hard on self and her and the relationship and everything else. And I screwed up a thousand times. I've been married twenty-four times. We've been through six therapists. I'm a therapist. We need another therapist. We, you know, the point is, she's. I'm better with her in it, and that that is what sustained it. Not love, you know. It, it was it was just this belief that I'm a better human being with my wife in my life.
1: Why do you make a really valid point there, Bill, because. We all want to be our best. That is our underlying cause. Our underlying motivator is I want to be the best I can be. And to have somebody in your life that Mm. makes you better, Mm. that's a no-brainer.
0: You nailed it, Lee. And what men struggle with, let's just get right into the the belly of the beast. What men struggle with is we don't like taking dictates. We don't like taking new information necessarily from the outside world. Let alone we really struggle with the feminine giving us new information or, or challenging us because it's kind of like a reminder of our mom challenging us a little bit. And maybe those are gross exaggerations, but a big part of my study and research on the book was men need, they say, um, love is to destroy and to be love is to be destroyed. And when a man's heart understands that, he knows that his wife, when she says, I want a divorce, my wife's asked me for a divorce 80 times and we have the most amazing relationship but when she says, I want a divorce, what she's really saying is, you're not listening to me and supporting me the way I want. So I've got to go global on your ass, excuse my French, in order for you to hear what it means to support me. And so really, it's, it's on men to slow down and really listen, both sides, but men especially, listen to what your wife's saying between the words. She says, I want you to hear me, support me, love me unconditionally, but also accept the challenge and come back with what your take is on it. And, and it's, it's, that's why relationships are, it takes work, but really the work is on me, not her. I need to look at why I feel small and less than that little boy when she's dismissive with me and, and I can challenge her on that, but that's, that's really kind of from the highest level. That's why relationships are work, but if you feel like your other is better you're, everything's better with the two of you together than then you've got the first step. You've already passed the test halfway through. Now comes the work and willingness to let the other person open you up.
1: Well, you touched on a couple of really good points, and it really brought to mind, I mean, I one of my biggest – challenges is with my husband is I'll come home and I'll and I will vent about something that happened at work or and he wants to fix it he wants to fix it (laughs) I knew you you were going there you are spot on I knew exactly where you're going and I'm like I don't want you to fix it I just want you to listen to me oh okay but then we could do this I mean so and, and I think it's you know him he thinks I just want to fix it for, and he's always, I started my own business, the Brain Performance Center, back in 2009, and he has truly been the biggest supporter, Mm. I mean, financially, emotionally, in every which way, but he still doesn't get the fact, I don't want you to fix my problems.
0: (laughs) It's so true. You know, I can't remember who defined it, I think it was David Deddy said that the masculine system. Is built on mission, right? We we want a mission, go to the death. That's why we like gladiators and football, whatever. We we want a mission. We want to take it. We want to put it on our shoulders and carry a mission down, whether it's our our wife's business, our own business, our kids. Where the feminine really is the exchange of love. It's it's the holding the hoop, holding the space. You know, the the Hindu, the Native Americans say the, the wife, the woman holds the hoop and the man steps in it. So that's why the heart is the woman's. It's the feminine locale. And so men, we want to fix stuff because we feel like that's our purpose. Whereas you nailed it. I can't tell many times my wife will look at me and say, I don't want your input. Just listen to me. And I've gotten so good. In fact, what I do is she's talking it, and even if I'm not fully paying attention, I repeat the words because I, I'm creating a physical effect so that I can listen to it. She'll say something, and I'll actually repeat it out loud so that I stay with the thread, and we can be in that supportive space. But well, they also yeah. said –
1: but you know, that's the basis of counseling, reflecting yes. the feelings. Yes. So, good exactly.
0: job. Yeah, and it's almost like I statements, right? You and I know all about I statements. It's like, when you do this, it makes me feel this. It's not you, Lee. It's not my wife, Linda. It's not you making me do it. It's your actions. When you do that, make me feel this way, and I just want to identify it. So, you know, it really comes down to everything in the universe is based on friction. The second law of thermodynamics say tooth objects will continue to move together until there's some kind of balance entropy. And so there is always going to be friction to the day. My wife and I expire, we will be in a state of friction, but really what it is is realizing that if I can use the friction, this is what the whole basis of the book is. If I can use the friction for my own growth, like you said before Lee use the altar, the fire of, that's why I say stand in the fire of your marriage use the craziness that gets kicked up in yourself as your tool for pulling your heart opening, looking at your inner relationship, looking at your inner child, whatever it might be. And it's a great ride. And they, so they say the number one, the two most important things in a marriage, this came from the Madeira Divorce Project. It's a longitudinal study where they di- interview divorce folks for 10 to 15 years after their divorce. And the divorce folks said, if I had done these two things, number one, It's maintain the friendship through all the craziness. Two people have to maintain the friendship, whether it's going out and playing, you know, playing hopscotch, whatever it is, there has to be a friendship base. And the second was was communicate more, because if the resentment gets to a certain level, you never come back. And I think I think that's what you're seeing. I'm sure you're seeing in your practice. I've got a lot of calls of of clients or prospective clients saying, I don't know if I can come back. The resentment is so thick in the pandemic, these 12 months has shined a light on all the stuff that hasn't been resolved. So anyway, I I digress, but it's powerful. The friction is powerful.
1: You know, it is. And, and, you know, I come at it a little bit differently because I think of the brain and I think about Mm. how you make the, how you make those decisions in the brain and, you know, the left side of the brain, that's where your logic is. That's where you can organize stuff and plan it. And then you got the right side and the right side is emotion. And Two thirds of the cells in the right hemisphere mm. are scanning for danger. They're looking for threat. I because didn't know that. The, I and didn't it's a true that. fact. But it goes back to our brain's job is to keep us alive. So we've been through this pandemic, and the last year has been trauma mm. on different levels for different people. So when, you, when you've been through trauma, that brain is traumatized. Those frontal lobes get all messed up because mm. the left side can't do its job, can't organize it, can't plan it, can't make it work. And the right side is so overloaded with looking for danger that we're letting the amygdala make our decisions. Yep. And wow. anytime I make a purely <laughs> emotional decision, <laughs> I regret it. And it, sometimes it doesn't take more than five minutes. Yep. <laughs> and I take no pride in saying that.
0: It's amazing. I, you know what I never, and we, I've done a ton of work on the brain. I did not know that two thirds are actually, that makes so much sense because that's our mammalian instinct. That's our, that's our reptilian. That's a piece from the reptilian, right? We always, you look at a bird, they're always looking for danger every second, uh, or, you know, whatever mammals and any mammal animals out there, but wow, that is, it's so true. And, and you nailed it. We What's amazing is that when you get a couple together and and the couple, one of the couple says something, the other is automatically triggered. But when you slow it down, the source of that trigger has nothing to do. And I'll give you an example. has nothing to do with the partner. It has to do with something that happened 30 years ago. I'll give you a perfect example of the scanning. My wife and I first married first three years. I was kind of, I was disciplining my kids at the table in, in a way that was, you know, I'm sober. And I'm just saying, Hey, sit up straight. Don't, don't chew with your mouth full. Don't do all these things. And my wife looks at me and she like got so mad. She threw a plate at me. She's like, you're, you're crazy. And I'm like, Whoa, where did this come from? We went into therapy two weeks later. And as she was describing the moment at the dinner table, a couple weeks back, she started like going into this fugue state and was talking to her dead father who used to come to the dinner table, drunk, and dismissive and angry when she was 10 years old. And so she realized, oh my gosh, Bill, you're triggering, you're enacting the father archetype for me when you come to the table and tell the kids to sit up straight. In this tone, please sit up straight. It triggered her. The point is that amygdala, that ancient, like what you just nailed, it's that that her brain, that little child, inner child, is scanning for danger from a male being drunk and that triggered, got triggered in the 43-year-old wonderful woman, my wife, at the time. It's powerful.
1: Well, you know, and there's a great book, The Body Keeps Score. Mm. And it talks about how the body keeps score of trauma. And anytime you're traumatized, and that's emotional trauma. When yep. your father comes to the dinner table drunk totally. and it's just, you know, verbally abusive to you, that yeah. creates those implicit memories. And implicit memories aren't ones that you can just choose to call on. They come when they want to come. Mm. And that's when she heard you, those implicit memories were just slapping her right in the face.
0: (laughs) You nailed it. (laughs) And she was ready to slap me up and down. She was like, I actually, that was, and I'm sure you've had those denouement moments, those moments in your life, like there's like, oh my gosh, there's something here. That was my that was my inflection point when I realized there is so much inner content in every human being. I've got to start exploring that. And literally a year later I went back for my master's in social work and I wanted to follow the trail of self. <laughs> and it was that moment in the kitchen. I call it the kitchen table massacre. It was when, you know, where she just went off and I and I praise her and I honor her for being honest and candid and the work we did in therapy afterward that after that, but it really, it's so revealing how much we all carry around. Um, I say my, my quote in my book, my own quote is your marriage started in fourth grade. Oh, tell me
1: more about that.
0: Today started in fourth grade because you know, better than anybody Lee, the first 10 years of a, of a human being's life, we are purely limbic. We're purely right brain. Uh, the early child is the skin is thinner, um, the the child's heart and the mom's heart and the parent's heart, whatever adults are around, it's an antenna. So the, the heart is radiating, radiating biomagnetic and bioelectric energy outwards. And so our parents' lives, the name of my book was originally to be called The Space In Between because the first 10 years of our lives, we soak, biomagnetically, we soak the life experiences of our parents into our limbic body, into our heart, into our belly. And so we're purely limbic. The first 10 years, they say that, you know, 80% of what a kid picks up from zero to 10 is nonverbal. Has nothing to do with what my dad was saying to me. It had everything to do about how he felt about himself, black people. And he like, it was his feeling world that we absorb. We absorb the feeling world of our parents. Then we enter the adult world into our late teens, early 20s, and our limbic brains kind of shut down and our left brain is uh, woken up. That's the natural cycle. And then what happens, 28, 29, 30, guess what happens? They call it the Saturn return. Our brains start to millenniate which means the left and right brain start to merge at 29, 30, 30 years old. And suddenly our inner world starts to really open up. It's the natural phase of being human. And so what, we, what I absorb from zero to 10 is the emotional content that I bring to my marriage that I had no clue about. So I really, I really learned marital responses in fourth grade because that was my limbic world. The problem is it gets revealed and it's very immature, especially from the male side. When we get into marriage, the friction of marriage wakes up the child inside of us, and it's never a pretty sight. It's often not a pretty sight.
1: No, I mean, and and think about what the last year, how everybody's life has changed. You know, you used to have this lovely home that we all came home to at the end of the day. came home from school, came home from work. You know, and even if it's a two-bedroom, two-bath apartment, it was home. Now there's four people in that home. (laughs) Two of them are working from home and two of them are doing school. I mean, I have a client that he worked for the first six months, he worked in the master closet, didn't have a window to look out at, didn't have any light. That's crazy. It is. uh, Finally, I said, You know what your problem is? And he said, (laughs) What? I said, You need to get out of the closet.
2: Oh my God! Boy. He said,
1: "But there's nowhere for me to go." I said, "Yes, there is. Everybody can take a turn in the closet."
2: <laughs>
0: you
1: know? So that, I think this last year has really put stress on relationships.
0: I totally agree. And what what we've discovered is that it's 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 absolutely putting stress on the relationship. And what it's doing, it's again shining light on all the stuff that hasn't been reconcile because theoretically, if you pull all your outside obligations off your calendar, AKA a pandemic, global pandemic, and you're left with your significant other, if you guys have done the work and you've kind of built a friendship, sure, you're going to have the friction, but it's also like for my wife and I, it's been really fun. Like we, we're not forced to go anywhere. We don't have to go anywhere. Therefore we've just, you know, we've kind of renewed the friendship. Sure. We've had challenges. Sure. We fight, sure. We yell, but it's so enriching. Like I can spend. I can spend the entire day in my house, never see my wife, just knowing she's there brings me comfort, brings me love. That's, that's having done the work. And I'm sure you're the same way. Like we're two people moving in space together, but we have built a friendship that also happens to have a romance, great kids, like, you know, but it took work so much work to get there. And I don't think people really understand sometimes Lee, when we, you and I say work, it means slowing down, tuning in, doing the therapy checking in on your inner child, watching what's getting kicked up through the in-laws and the money challenges and the kid challenges and all that stuff. That's just the natural discourse of marriage. You know, I tell, I, I work with kids a lot of times to work with these young kids about to get married. I said, listen, strap yourself in. It's going to be awesome. But who you are now and who you are five years from now, especially after a couple of kids, completely different, a completely different muscle set, completely different game. So just be prepared that you're going to have to really dig in which nobody ever told me that and even if they had told me I'd be like yeah I've got this but it's a great journey but it's not easy
1: no it's not and and you're right nobody ever told me that either uh, <laughs> and, and it took me a while to figure that out Holy. but I but I did figure it out and I realized that okay you know I've got I've got to do my work yeah. I I've got to put some effort into this in 2020 I decided that I was going to start painting and and I actually had a son in law that, that painted. So he would walk me through it and we would do Zoom meetings. And my husband had zero interest in painting because <laughs> I thought, oh, well, you know, we could paint together. And he would, <laughs> I, I figured out really good. Did you order those night. looks. Yeah, not even that. Not even raise the head. Uh huh. <laughs> um, and I started thinking, okay, as we come out of this, I want us to have something that we can do together that we didn't have before. Mm. So New Year's Eve, I said, you know what? We When we first got married, we played a lot of backgammon. I'm going to go get because we were staying home for New Year's yeah. Eve. Yeah. I'm going to go get a backgammon set. And he's like, okay. And we did. And then I decided once once we got a little bit of nicer weather, I said, you know what? Because he loves to play golf. He's uh, not competitive. Right. He just enjoys it. I said, yep. you know what? I'm gonna learn how to play golf. Good and for you. He, he kind of looked at me and <laughs> and both of my both of my boys said, Mom, why are you doing that? <laughs> I said, because I want to have something that your father and I can do together. You that can is... take great vacations, you know, use yep. golf. It can be a big social thing. Now and, and my husband is not competitive in that where he would be embarrassed to right. play with me. Right. Or he hasn't been yet. Um, <laughs> Does he love the fact
0: that you want to do something that he enjoys?
1: Yes, he does. And he has been so patient in trying to teach me Mm -hmm. and to get me a lesson. And he's ordered me a golf club. He's like, you know, you really need a club that you can just go out and swing in the backyard. And I said, you're right, I do. I said, I'll look for one. And he's like, when are you going to do that? I said, I don't (laughs) know. But... So I came home about three days later and there the club was.
0: I love it. That's a good man. That's super sweet. I love that. I mean, that's that's what it's all about. You know, I, I think about my my wife, right? She's the first one I'm going to bring good news, bad news, everything. Like it's just, there's that camaraderie that just, um, you know, super supportive. And you and I know that, you know, there's a ton of science and research on human longevity, marriage, you know, being married just, just calms the soul down, you know, for lack of a better word. And, you know, the, the great Harvard study, the grant study, I think you and I talked about it, you know, they started this 85 year study, you know, in the forties and they, they longitudinally tracked all these guys and then their offspring are now tracking their grandkids. And their summation from that grant study was the most important things in life are relationships. The most important thing in li- life are the relationships you have or don't have. And it's because you're actually as mammals, if we have four five, six powerful connections, clearly our marriage, but just good connections in the world, we feel better. We feel more connected. We feel like the world has meaning. And, you know, a lot of us shy away from these relationships because it's causes us to have to kind of step out of our skin. And the only way we've, after 20 years of research, 18 years of research, vulnerability is the only way to truly deepen a relationship. Me being vulnerable to my wife at the right time, her being vulnerable to me at the right time, and at the right time is very important. But you know, you and your husband know, you've had those rough moments, you've had the vulnerability, and you've built this friendship, which which is the world to you. It's the world to him. It gives you strength when you go out in the world, knowing you have that connection to that other soul.
1: Well, you're right. But I think you know one of the things that really played a part is both of our we grew up in homes where our parents were married, and they stayed married uh, for a very long time. Yep. And the behavior that we saw modeled is what influenced, you know, us. And it's well, yep. this is how I should treat a husband, or this is how I should treat a wife. And you know, where I see clients that really struggle have yep. been, and there's some, there's some great kids, there's some great families that come out of divorce homes. Yep. I am not. I'm not, 100%. you know, making a, a global yep. statement. But when you haven't seen any behavior modeled, yep. it makes it really hard to know intuitively what to do.
0: You nailed it, Lee. You nailed it. it the, it's all modeling. And and that's why when I work, with, and I'm sure you're the same way, when I work with parents, they're like, fix my kid, fix my kid. I said, listen... Do this, practice doing this, watch how you're responding to your kids and your wife, because how you are responding is going to be the way your kids are responding. They're not picking up what you're saying. They're picking up how you're feeling about stuff. So, And the one thing a lot of folks, we all need to get better at is tuning into our feelings. What am I feeling right now? What's the only thing in the world that somebody said this to me 15 years ago, Bill, what's the only thing in the world that you can control? I'm like, taxes. They're like, no, (laughs) how you feel. You can't control anything else. And how you feel, Bill, determines how you react to your wife, Bill. And so that struck me like, whoa, only thing I can control is how I feel. And now I'm not working hard enough on that. I like bingo. Time to work more on tuning in. And that's what you do with your clients. You help them tune in and understand how they're feeling. And their feelings are driving their behavior.
1: Well, and I come at that from a little bit different perspective. I tell my clients they have to actively listen mm. because you, how many times have you talked oh. to somebody and you could see they're all, they're they're formulating what they're going <laughs> to come back and say to you. you know they've already they're they're not hearing a word that you say. you've got to actively listen and and sometimes that we just have to you made, shared a good example, repeat those words, yes, make sure that you really did hear the message. yes,
0: yes, yeah, repeating has been one of my greatest tools because it forces me to actually listen and and you nailed it I mean just. We all struggle sometimes to really hear the other person. We're hearing them with our ears, but are we hearing them with our heart? Are we hearing them with both our left brain and right brain open? So emotional intelligence, they say, according to Bradbury and and Goldman, emotional intelligence is that divide between your left brain and your right brain. When you actually have your rational to help you support and your emotional in control and understanding your emotions, when the two of them are in combination – that's true emotional intelligence and that's one of the hardest things to do because we're either one or the other at times right where our brain switches back all day between left brain focus and right brain focus and, and and they say this was interesting somebody said this to me when you're talking to your wife talk through her right ear so that the information goes into her left brain
1: that's and an I'm, interesting point
0: and i never i'm like wow that's interesting of course i have never been able to figure out what to do because i don't want to like be walking around the counter like trying to Kind of talking to talk in her one ear because um, she'll be like, You're crazy than I thought. But, but you know, you know better than anybody, Lee, how that brain's working, right? And how to manage the uh, whether you're feeling rational, the logic in you, or the emotional in you. And that's the biggest challenge. And that's, that's really where the work is, is trying to find that balance inside ourselves so we can be fully present to listen to somebody else because they're going to be out of balance typically. So if we're out of balance and they're out of balance, not a good
1: moment. But and not works. good communications. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, if ideally, if you communicate, you communicate without judgment and you yeah. let everybody express their opinions and their needs. Okay. But that's hard to do. You know, and I think you made an important point, and I want to repeat it before we go to break. Yeah. People won't remember what you said. They won't remember what you did. They remember how you made them feel.
0: You nailed it. We'll be back after these messages.
2: Never we all know that alarm clocks were invented for people who don't have kids. But before the alarm clock was invented, how did people wake up in time for work? Previous to the alarm clock gaining popularity, people in Britain and Ireland might have been awakened each morning by a knocker-up. A knocker-up was a person that was paid a few pence a week to wake up slugabeds and clinomaniacs. Those are people who like to sleep in. Knocker-ups used pea shooters to rouse folks who were oversleeping and long bamboo sticks to reach windows on higher floors. It was the responsibility of the knocker-up to not leave the window until they were sure their client didn't go back to sleep, even if they had metutilepia, otherwise known as waking up on the wrong side of the bed.
1: It's words you never heard.
2: I'm Carolyn Davidson and Words You Never Heard has been brought to you by the Variatic Surgery Center of Dallas. Got a lead foot? According to state troopers, here's what not to do when you get pulled over. Don't be a lachrymous and start crying right away. It doesn't help. But if you're under 20, crying won't be held against you. Don't ask for a break, and don't yell or start any argy-bargy. And one trooper said, if they're going to flirt with me to get out of a ticket, it would probably insult my intelligence. But unfortunately, I don't get hit on all that often. So flirting or being a gill flirt won't work. Did you know that 15% of all drivers get 76% of all traffic tickets? And the odds of winning if you challenge a traffic ticket in court are one in three. So what should you do when you get pulled over for speeding? Be courteous to the officer and most of all, be honest. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Word.
0: We're back now. Here is your host, Lee
1: Richardson. We're back, and you know we've all thought about what we talked about before, and it made me think about the last year. And, and when we first went into lockdown, my husband travels forty weeks out of the year, and I've become a very independent soul. And it's gotten a lot easier without kids in the house. But now I love that. I love my freedom. And after him being there for, you know, three or four weeks in a row, I would come home at the end of the day and say, can't you go somewhere, (laughs) anywhere, you know, and he would look at me and I could tell he was like, oh, I'd love to, but he (laughs) couldn't. And it took some work for us to kind of develop a a new rhythm because, you know, I didn't luckily there what we do get along very well, and and I think over time we have learned to accept mm. and appreciate. But I have clients that during the last year have come to me and said, you know, Lee, I've realized that this has always been a problem, mm. but I never really had to address it. You know, I could just go meet a friend for coffee, or I could go to the gym. Now the gym's closed, and you know, I'm realizing that this, this isn't a new issue. It's always been there, but I really struggle with how to, how to deal with it. What are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, Lee, you nailed it. So you and my wife are cut from the same cloth and I think I'm cut a little bit of the same cloth as your husband is. I've been, I travel a lot and I like to travel and I choose, choose to do it because I need to be out there kind of just out of my four walls. I'm sure your husband's going through the same thing. And I think what's really interesting is, as, as, You guys experienced, my wife and I experienced the exact same thing. It wasn't, we just weren't used to sharing all our space, the bedroom space, the kitchen space, the workspace together all day. And I don't think that's healthy. You know, we were forced to, everybody was. So it's not like we had a choice, but you nailed it. It really did bring up, why was I grumpy? You know, why was she frustrated? Here's what's powerful, and I'm sure you know this, is kind of biomagnetically, even if we're not, even if we're 50 feet away and I'm stressed, we pick it up on each other, right? Because I can see her body language. You know, once you kind of get used to being with somebody and just kind of tuning into your own stuff, you can pick up the other person's body language. And she would just be frustrated with me around, regardless of the mood I was in, because like you said, it was constricting her. And I think that's exactly the point that a lot of your clients, a lot of us felt is that the issues between my wife and I were always there we were just in a state of constriction and therefore we were forced to look at it and we did. In fact, a couple of my kids, one of my kids started doing therapy during the pandemic, therapy that, that she hadn't been looking to do, although we'd been talking about it, but the pandemic was a breakthrough for her because it was constriction and she realized, oh my God, here are my issues. And it really, really was cathartic. And so I say, I say the best thing people can do is they can do a couple things, but one of the most powerful things is go find a third party and have the two of you talk to them. And it's not like it's not about fixing. Nothing needs to get fixed. It's like you nailed it before. It's about communicating. And when you put a third party in the room, even though you and your spouse have been communicating for years and years and years, you put a third party in that gives you a different lens and a little bit of a different perspective. And we've seen rates of therapy go up. We've seen rates of divorce go up during the pandemic the last 12 months. So we've seen the action. Stuff is happening. I'm getting calls from new clients almost weekly saying, you know, I just know stuff's coming down the road and this pandemic's really kicked it up. So getting busy doing the work and communicating, you know, that's been, you know, that's, that's the opportunity I believe this monastic pandemic life has created, has allowed for if you're willing to do the work. Some people aren't, though.
1: No, they're not, and I think you touch on the, the, you hit the nail on the head when you said the word communicating, Mm -hmm. because the way we communicate, we all have different styles of communication, sometimes I don't want to make a decision, I don't want a confrontation, so I'm (laughs) passive, I don't care, I don't know, and then sometimes, you know, I say that, but then I get a little passive-aggressive when I say, oh, I don't care where we go eat, I don't like this, why'd we come here, you know? (laughs) And then sometimes I'll get a, I'll feel like nobody's hearing me, so I'll just get a little assertive. Did you hear me? And, <laughs> and, and all of that hurts the relationship. And yeah. and I know, I know what the ideal way to uh, communicate is. It's assertively, not aggressively. Mm-hmm. And you know, everybody needs to be heard. But and you know, I and I'll tell clients it's really easy. There's only three things you need to do. You need to learn how to say no, mm. you need to actively set some boundaries and you need to listen. But yeah. you know, as well <laughs> as I know, that's not that easy. Yeah,
0: because we don't know where our boundaries are. I love those points. I wrote them down. I, it's hard to know our boundaries. It's funny, just this past weekend, my wife and I had a, I had a, I was willing, here, here's what I've, and I, and I don't know if other men struggle with that as well, but in general, often we struggle with sharing something that we know the other person's going to react strongly. And my wife was, the way she's asked questions over the years, she's asking them, but making me feel, making me, I feel small and less than when she asked the questions. Cause she's kind of saying, why haven't you done this yet, Bill? Are you sure this can get done? Right? So what I'm, the point I'm bringing up here is that I've often not brought up, like, could you, could you look at how you're asking, what you're feeling is behind that I knew she was going to erupt. Sure enough, we're sitting in the Lowe's depart- uh, parking lot this last Saturday. And I just decided this is the moment. And I turned and said, blah. I said, that, you know, sweetheart, the way you are responding, the way you're talking, she looked at me like she was going to basically punch me. And but what I was doing is I just had to communicate. And I did it in this this voice style, in this exact tone. I said, sweetheart, just look at how you're reacting right now. This is why this thing's been an issue, and I own 50% of it, and you own 50% of it, right? Lee, you and I know I only own 50% of my marriage. She owns the other 50%. All I can do is my work on my 50%. She does her work on her 50%. So I was drawing her closer to the fence, like we can look at that. Sure enough, she didn't talk to me for another hour, and then in the evening, she's like, I want to look at this. I think you're right. It wasn't about right or wrong. It was just that she's like, yeah, sometimes I feel blah, 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 and so- Communication is pulling off the bandaid. It's has to be done. It's very difficult, but it is the only solution.
1: Well, it is, but you know, it's, it's, we've talked about the brain a good bit and we've got this logically focused adult brain. Yes, And sometimes, and I think you talk about this on your website that you need to learn the language of feelings.
0: Bingo. You nailed it. And, and, the feminine typically is the more, you know, is more emotionally tuned in, is more emotionally driven, not good or bad. And and even though women have, um, my wife has an unbelievable rational, logical mind, much better than mine. The point is, is that there's times where I'm emotional and she's looking at it from the logical lens. Other times she's, she's emotional and I'm looking at it from the logical lens. Exactly what you're saying, Lee, is I have to know the language of, of relating when I came, this is what I found out when I came home after work last 10 or 15 years, I've got three girls and her, so four women. And I was coming from the adult rational fixing, you know, eight, nine hours of fixing things. I'd come home and I was trying to use my fix it brain in my family life. And I realized that I had to turn that off and I had to open up my heart and I had to open up my left, my right brain, my limbic body. And I'd struggle to do that. I'd be grumpy. My wife be like, you know, it's better off if you're not here. And then I'd get up. She would trigger me on like, oh, you know, blah, blah I'm not loved, all that kind of crap. The point is, is it's all brain. You nailed it. The, it's understanding, okay, where am I now? Oh, I'm feeling very rational. That might not work with where we are right now. And, and it's just finding that balance when we communicate on the brain is, is so powerful.
1: So powerful and at times so difficult because <laughs> – if you get, let those emotions take over, God. or that three-letter word, that ego, you know, <laughs> I, I can't tell you how many times that after a discussion went down that I didn't say to myself, I should have checked the ego at the yep. door. So uh, truly. But it's hard to do because you come in, you know, I come in, maybe I'm tired, maybe I'm hungry, maybe the guy just cut me off and gave me the finger and, you know. <laughs> I'm just irritated, <laughs> and, and instead of taking the time and saying, "Okay, you know, slow down," you're God. home. Check your ego at the door. Yeah. You know this is this is not where you need to be right. And yeah. you said that earlier. There's it, no right and no wrong.
0: Gosh, that is such a big. When when couples get that, I think everything shifts. When when I don't have to be right. I just want to be heard and she doesn't have to be right or wrong. She just wants to be heard and supported and in the ways that she and I can do that for each other. This whole, I just, I, early on in my marriage, I was like, I gotta be right. I gotta prove her. I gotta prove I'm right. So she thinks I'm worthy. All these things of proving to my egoic self. <clears throat> and finally, you know, it just kind of gets stripped away. We're like, listen, I, I can be wrong and still be loved. And I feel like growing up in my house, that old world was, Yeah, you could be wrong, but you're kind of, you're kind of niggled for it. You're kind of like, you know, I don't know, it's kind of not, not a little bit of shame based, but maybe that was just created. But the point is, it's not about being right or wrong. No relationship's ever going to work if they're constantly going, I need to be right. And she needs to be wrong, you know, or whatever that is.
1: Or if you're keeping score, you know, okay, you've been twice, like three times this week. It's my turn. Oh. I'll hear that, and I'll say, you know, you need to just quit counting. Yeah. yeah.
0: Oh my God, you, ah, oh boy, you nailed it. Like keeping score. Now, here's what's powerful, and I, I could be wrong. I feel like women have such often good emotional intelligence or good emotional memory for certain things that that hurt them or they felt undone by, and and they don't forget it. And and addressing that, you know, I, I remember I, I was probably two years ago, my wife and I were having dinner, and she brought up something that I did seven or eight years before. And I said, yeah, but sweetheart, I think that's kind of unfair because I wasn't intending to be a jerk. I just was unconscious and I was a jerk. She's like, doesn't matter. You hurt me. And then, so I had to look at that. And it certainly helped to hear that um, amazingly helped amazingly to hear that, but it is amazing how a certain event will happen and it gets stored in our limbic brain. Like you said, that, the scanning for danger, right? And so it gets stored in that database And we then will overreact and then in in years later, because we feel that certain reverberation from that one event. And that's really powerful. And that's communication will elicit all this communication will bring it out. So never stop communicating, bring your heart to the altar, be vulnerable. If anybody's, you know, those folks listening out there, I always say, Bill, what do I do? I said, be vulnerable, share how you're feeling without having to be, Asked to do it. And don't do it when the when the conversation's in high energy. Don't do it when you forgot to take out the garbage and you forgot to take the dog out and the dog took a poo-poo in the car. Don't do it then. Find a quiet moment and go, you know, I just feel blah, blah, blah. Be vulnerable and be open and allow it to allow it to soften the relationship boundaries.
1: Well, and, and you know what stands in the way of vulnerability, it's fear. Fear. We're, totally. And we all have fear. Yep. we're so afraid yes. that, you know, it's, it's feared, And it's just like when we go into that, we get nervous. We go into that fight or flight mode. No, oh, I don't know what to do. You know, do I or do I just go go numb? Do I go sympathetic or do I go parasympathetic in my autonomic nervous system? Totally.
0: Uh, I and love fear, it.
1: fear is just it's something that is so hard, particularly after the last year. Yes. It It's so hard to say, I, I am afraid. Yep. I mean, yeah, because we we don't want to be afraid. We want to be brave.
0: You know? Brave, totally, and especially men. We want to put on that brave face. We want to be the brave hero for our wife. You know, who also kind of represents on some level the the, the mothering archetype, um, right? And so men don't realize when they say spiritual warrior, a warrior, all the great warriors had fear they just learn to understand it and use it when you need it, i.e. when you're in battle. And if you're not in battle, use it to see what it's scanning for, what it's looking for. I've, you've got me hooked on scanning now. Um, and, and, and addressing the fear. And, and really the fear is I believe most of our fear is based on, you know, either events or just things from our past that we see, oh, that's reminding me of then, and I was in a place of fear. Whereas if you, I actually said this to my dad years ago. I said, dad, you know, he born in the depression era. He's he's born in 1932. He's 89 years old. Great man, phenomenal. We just celebrated his birthday last week. I said, dad, and he comes from a fear-based world. That was a depression era was fear-based. And I said to him 10 years ago, dad, what if you spent, if you took all the time you're worrying about stuff, And you stopped worrying about it because everything you worry about pretty much doesn't come true. What would you do with your time and energy? And he looked at me, Lee. He said, that's a really good question. I don't know. In other words, he could not shake the fear. And it's exactly what you said. Some people, it's going to take a Herculean effort to shake the fear. But that's what we got to do. That fear came from the 1930s and 40s and 50s. And here we are in the 2000s. And it's unmerited. Unnecessary, I should say.
1: But it stops so many people from yep. just the, the simplest things. You know, I didn't. W- I, you know, I I didn't want to ask them if they'd like to come over because I'm afraid they would say no. Right. Or, or, or to bigger things. You know, I don't want to apply for that job because I'm afraid I yeah. won't get it. Yeah. It really does interrupt every every all your decision making.
0: Big time. No, it really does, and. <sighs> I think a lot of what you said, it has, has to do with that ego. We have this sense of self and um, we really don't want to let people down. We don't want to let our parents down or, you know, we don't want to let ourselves down. But, you know, we've done a lot of not only the brain work, we've done a lot of inner child work where we take people back to fourth grade. Literally I'll be doing it. I did it four times this week, one more, two more sessions this week. Whereas we just relax and we go back to fourth grade and we'd be shocked Lee. All humans would be, all adults would be shocked at how much we knew in third, fourth, fifth grade, how much we knew about the world and our sensibilities and how the third, fourth, fifth grader is a lot less fearful than typically than the adult. In other words, there's this belief at a younger age that all is possible. And then that gets unbelieved as we move into the adult world and we're proven wrong or whatever our dreams were. But if we go back to that dreaming body of the third, fourth grader, and really get into that energy and really understand that those dreams, sure, I wasn't a professional soccer player, but what I wanted to do, I can bring that energy and that helped lift fears out of me as an adult by going back and tuning into my 10-year-old self, my 12-year-old self, my 14-year-old self. That's a lot of what the energetic, scientific-based energetic work is on is go back and tune into that 14-year-old And he'll help the adult inside you to help the current adult. And so addressing fear is the most important thing. I think you nailed it. It's one of the most important things in any human beings. life. what is my fear and how do I get at it?
1: Well, and it's such a big part of anxiety and a big part of depression. It keeps you in a dysfunctional state mentally. Um, And that's something that can ruin a relationship very quickly. You know more about that than I do.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I, I've got a master's in in fear, I'd have to say. My grandmother's an amazing woman, amazing woman, but she never recovered from the from the war. My my grandfather went off to war, he came back, everything was fine, but she was so devastated by fear that she never actually unwound it, even though she tried. And and it, it takes work. But and you know, all your listeners never give up. Never give up. I don't care what age you are, I don't care what your state is. There is always an opening that can and will happen if you go in, tune into that experience and, and and open up what is really happening behind that fear. And no, I always say, what would your what would yourself say to you five years from now? You're going to look back to this moment right now, Lee, five years ago. You're going to look back in this moment right now. And what are you going to think? What you're most likely to think is, oh, my gosh, I should have just freaking done it. Right, like I don't care what it is. Try it. Work harder. Do more. You know, like think about posterity when you're when you're stuck in this fear. You know, what would what are you going to say to yourself when you when the your your forward self looks back right on today? That forward self of you five years now is going to like do it, Bill. Just do it. Do what you need to do. Go go, break through the fear. Be your own coach. I try to have my clients be their own inner coach.
1: Absolutely, and I tell people, you know, you have to check in with yourself every yes. day. Yes. Especially those when you feel start to feel that anxiety coming on. So Haley, how you doing right yes. now? Oh, feeling a little anxious. Yes. So where's it coming from? And then when you when you stop and you identify where it's coming from, is that realistic to think that that's going to happen? Well, no, probably not. So you know that self check in. Um, it You know, really,
0: you nailed it because I think people think they're crazy if they do what you just did. But that's one of the most powerful things you can do. It's just, you know, I, I do it all the time. Like, okay, Bill, what, what's really happening here? Oh, you're feeling less than and scared because of blah blah blah, and that's why you're acting like a little kid. Oh, okay, it doesn't necessarily mean I change, but that self check in changes things. It really does. But we we're, we don't trust the voice. We know, a lot of times we don't trust our, our inner instincts because we've been whatever beaten down you know whatever it is so we don't trust the voice but you know what Lee you're saying it trust your gut trust your gut so your gut you, as you know your heart has forty thousand brain neurons in it think of that your heart has neurons that are exactly like brain neurons and guess what so does the so does the belly our stomach has our stomach is where all the serotonin is produced serotonin that you know is, is the ingredient in Zoloft which we put into our brain but it's all produced in the belly. And there is massive intelligence inside our belly and our heart, as in our brain. And so just checking in with your gut, I always tell my client, check in with your heart. What's your heart think? Put your right hand on your heart. What's your heart think? What do the brain neurons think in your heart? Oh, they think this is this-I should just do it. Then do it. You got it. We've now moved past it. Don't second well, guess
1: we, it. You know, and we come at it the same way, but I come at it from a conscious and a subconscious. Yes. And I'll tell clients. Did you know that every second that brain is capable of taking in 11 million bits of data and research shows that the most that you can take in on a conscious level is 40 to 126. Personally, I go, I go with the 40.
0: (laughs) I think I'm on the other side of that. I think I'm more like
1: 30. But either way, we don't have to do the math. We know where it's all going. It's going into your subconscious. How many times have you gone to sleep thinking, you know, tomorrow I'm going to really have to make a decision on that. And you wake up in the morning and that decision's made. You're so nailed it. That's the subconscious. Mm. And I told my kids growing up, listen to your gut. Your Mm. gut is your subconscious.
0: Gosh, you nailed it. I didn't realize. I knew there was a big data difference between what's coming out of the, the gut self-conscious uh, unconscious versus the subconscious versus the conscious. That's amazing. You're right. It can't our rational brain, the youngest part of our, what, what's our rational, the neocortex is like 2 million years old compared to our reptilian and, and, and midbrain, which are like hundreds of millions of years old. Um, it can't handle so much of what's happening, you know, in our emotional body and you nailed it. It's like, tune in, hear what it has to say. And then make a decision based on that. It's, But it's hard. It takes slowing down, right? I'm sure you have your clients just slow down a little bit so you can check into that gut.
1: You know, and one of the things people say, what can I do? What can I do? And I'll, they never like the answer because the answer is just breathe. Mm. Slow down. Every, when we're talking, be like, well, you know we're taking 12 to 14 breaths a minute. Our optimal breath rate is four to seven breaths a minute. Yeah. Slow down. And they may do it with me in my office and I give them homework to do it. They never do it at never home because it. it's, it's, it's hard work. It's too it's much hard work.
0: work you know? I can't believe you said that Lee, that is so powerful. So do you know the word spirituality comes from Latin spiritus, which means to breathe. Ah. So when you breathe belly, breathe, you, you wake up the solar plexus the solar plexus then starts sending signals to the brain, to the chest, to the thyroid gland, everything, and everything, the the pineal gland, the pituitary gland starts secreting melatonin. You automatically, by closing your eyes and doing 10 breaths, you change the state of your body, and nobody knows it better than you, and you nailed it. Breathing is the key to life. Slowing down, breathing, and let the body do some responding. Let the body do some talking, and the brain, the left brain, do less talking. More listening.
1: And that's, you know, it, you're right. Breathing is the key. But you know, Bill, we have a couple of minutes left, mm. and we mentioned your book in the beginning. And the Marriage is Work, Waking Up Marriage. Yep. That's the name of the book. Yep. If somebody is interested in getting that book or just finding out more about mm. you, sure. how do they do that?
0: I love it. You're the best. Thank you so much. Um, they can go to wholecounseling.com, like Whole Foods, but it's wholecounseling.com. That's my website. Um, and they can go on Amazon, the books on there called waking up marriage, finding truth in your partnership. Uh, it was about 11 years of research and, uh, talk about a labor of love from an English major. I can't believe how long it took me, but, um, yeah, I was just excited to get a lot of, I, I quote 67 different sources in there. And the whole crux of the book is that use your relationship as a way to wake yourself up. It's not really about marriage, so to speak. I use marriage as the template But whether it's a relationship with your neighbor, your boss, your daughter, anything, yourself. um, I'll leave you this one quick thought. I say that marriage is not one relationship. A marriage is eight relationships happening at the same time. And what I mean by that is right now, there's four major core relationships I'm experiencing by having this conversation with you or any time in my life. I'm experiencing a reaction to my, my experience of the mother archetype, what I picked up from my mom. It's my experience of the father archetype. It's the experience of what my understanding of relationship is, and it's my relationship to myself. So I'm having four relationships every day in my own inner life with the the masculine, the feminine, my relationship to relationships, and my relationship to self. My wife's having the same four. So now at any moment, she comes in the room right now. She's going to kick in one of my reaction experiences around those four core relationships. So there's eight relationships going on at the same time, and that's why marriage is, you know, it, it can get crazy. Because we're being triggered into these different spaces and experiences and archetypes every minute. Carl Jung calls them archetypes. Anyway, well, that's, 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 point.
1: A, that's a great point. And I'm going to leave with, with a point that we both made. People remember how you make them feel. Big Marriages Bill. fail because we don't make our partner feel right.
0: Love it. You're the best.
1: Thank you, Bill. Thank, Thank you. you so much for being yeah. with me today. Mm-hmm.
0: On behalf of lee richardson and the brain performance center we want to thank you for listening if you'd like to hear more episodes like this visit us
2: on itunes google play toginet stitcher iheart radio spotify